Well, Scripture calls us to honor each other, but we worship one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, and what a gift that is. And as the Apostle Paul says, follow me as I follow Jesus. So if you would, would you open up your Bible right now to John chapter 11? We're in a sermon series in this Lent season headed towards Easter, and we're taking a a second look, uh, another look at some of these famous gospel stories. And I believe it's on page 873 in your pew Bibles. And I'm going to read for us John 11:17 through 37. Uh, you heard if you were in the room or listening online uh, the story about Lazarus. That's where we're headed to in a moment. And this famous passage of Scripture, my hope, my prayer, is that we would sit with it long enough that maybe something we've forgotten along the way we would remember again, or perhaps the Spirit of God would reveal something new and fresh to us on this day, and it's a reminder that, you know, it's not the talent of the teacher that reveals truth, Uh, it's the work of the Holy Spirit, and it's my role, it's our role as pastors to simply get out of the way, to be an instrument for God's grace and glory, to get a message to you, and uh, I've been overwhelmed, actually, this week, a little bit because of just how joyful it is to be with you on Sundays, and especially Palm Sunday, and especially in this season, but the fact that it's been five years, it's just remarkable. My life was so much different five years ago. We had one son, we now have two, and uh, you know, it, 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 so much has changed in this season. And I remember the first sermon that I gave, it was called Beyond Hosanna, and if you remember that Greek word, homothumadon. It's a little bit uh, where we're going to today, where Christ calls us deeper to follow him. So let me read uh, John 11, verses 17, all the way through 37. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Let me hear you say, four days. days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? 
They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? This, my friends, is the reading of God's word. So on this Palm Sunday, as we gather in worship, if you're taking notes, uh, whether you're online or in person, I know there's some here today who, uh, they're in Florida, some are in Toronto, some are in London, some of you are homesick, some of you are traveling for business, some of you have a split screen now with the masters. Uh, wherever you are <laughs> gathered in worship, uh, I'm glad you're here. And if you are taking notes, uh, I want to remind me and all of us that Jesus, his love and his life are stronger even when we're disappointed with the past, number one. Number two, even when we're disengaged with the present. And number three, even when we defer hope to the future. Jesus' love and life are more powerful than those three. Now open those Bibles back up. Take a look. There's a short little section of Scripture that I want us to focus in on. This past and present and future from Mary's point of view are all summed up uh, right here. It's in verses 21 all the way through 24. So let me look at this again. Let me read this again. And you'll hear the past tense, the present tense, and the future tense from Martha's perspective. Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, past tense, my brother would not have died. Let's pause right there. She's basically saying, uh, what happened in the past? The fact that my brother died four days ago. Where were you, Jesus? Why didn't you show up? You say you're the Messiah. You say that you're Savior. You, You say that you can do those things. Where were you? And she's saying to Jesus, I am disappointed with my past. How many of you have any disappointments in your past? Show of hands. I saw a hand shoot right up immediately. Yes. Some of you come to this place. You live with deep regret. Choices that you've made. Choices that you've had made for you. Choices that you had made to you. Missed opportunities. Mistakes. Uh, a lack of connection, whatever they may be, we walk around often saying, God, if only. If only I had a different childhood, you might say. If only I would have gotten that job. If only I didn't say that thing in public. If only I was bold enough If only, if only, if only, if only, Lazarus is in the grave, but Martha is living dead as well. You see, many of us, we live our lives disappointed with the past. We think that things should have gone a different way, and we blame God, we blame Jesus, we blame the Holy Spirit, we point the finger, and we even in our prayer life say, God, if only... And yet the love and life of Jesus is stronger than our disappointments with the past. I want you to identify what's one thing in your life that you're disappointed with. Nothing shallow, not like you didn't get the parking spot that you wanted last Easter, you know, or this morning, or that you wanted Fred Couples to make the weekend cut, nothing like that. 
You know, what's something deep and profound that perhaps you don't think about, you choose not to think about, you don't talk about, you don't even want to even bring into this moment right now that you've stuffed so deep down. Jesus says, my love and my life is stronger than that. Bring it to the surface. And it's painful to do that. It's hard to do that. Look, Martha just lost her brother, has been grieving for four days straight. Talk about raw emotion. Talk about pain. Talk about sorrow. Talk about heartache. Jesus, if only. Jesus' love and his life are present with you in that truth. Jesus' love and his life are present with you in that disappointment. It doesn't deter him. It doesn't dissuade him. He doesn't say, oh, Oh, you're disappointed? Well, let me move on to somebody who has no disappointments. No, he is present with Martha. He's present with you. But even beyond that, Martha is disengaged with the present. Why do I say that? Open those Bibles back up. Take a look. In fact, it says right here in verse 22, but even now I know, present tense, that God will give you whatever you ask of him. No, you don't, Martha. You see, a lot of people have said, look at the faith of Martha. Oh, really? Lord, he stinketh. If you weren't in the room when we had the kids say, Lord, he stinketh, she has just said like a bumper sticker slogan, something she knows that she's supposed to say, uh, something that other people have said perhaps, and yet later on Jesus says, I want you to remove the rock, and she says, no, 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 Jesus, no, 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 no. He stinketh. She does not yet believe in a deep, profound way that Jesus really is who he says he is. Yet on the surface, she has belief. Jesus, I know that you'll do whatever you say. Whatever, whatever you say to the Father, he'll do for you. I, I know it. And some of us, we walk around actually disengaged in the present because we hide behind the platitudes of Christianity. We're in the midst of grieving. Well, God's got this. And deep down, we don't believe it. God's going to work it out. And deep down, we deeply believe that he won't. You see, so often in life, we are unwilling to enter into the pain, the sorrow, the heartache. And we disengage a little bit. And especially Christians, we do this. We hide behind shallow, surface-level platitudes. The first sermon I ever gave here at Bellar Church five years ago today was beyond Hosanna, that we would go beyond just praising Jesus with our lips and praise him with our lives. In that moment, she is praising God with her lips, but she doesn't believe it in her heart. She's disengaged. Uh, she, she's kind of like removing it. Even though she says the right thing, she doesn't really believe it. And Jesus' love and his life are more powerful than that. Some of you are in the midst of something right now in the midst of a diagnosis, in the midst of a financial reality, in the midst of a separation, in the midst of a heartache, in the midst of loss, in the midst of disappointment, and some of us, we disengage and we hide behind the fake veneer of the, I'm fine. And Jesus' love and his life are present with you in the midst of that, and he says, my love and my life are more powerful just because you hide behind those things doesn't mean I'm going to 
disengage from you. I'm not going to move on from you. I'm going to enter into the situation, and I'm going to be who I say that I am, the resurrection and the life. And then what does she do? Not only is she disappointed with the past, not only is she disengaged in the present, she defers hope to the future. Take a look, verse 23. Jesus responds, your brother will rise again. Martha says to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. I've got hope, but I'm going to defer it out to the future. Now, I, I know some of you, you're really good at hedging hope. You know, you hedge your bets. You kind of like rein them back in. I know that it is deeply, profoundly disturbing when we hope for something and we don't get it. And it's human nature. It's the way the mind and the heart works that we begin to get uh, inoculated against when hope doesn't come to fruition. And what we often do is we defer it so far out in the future that I know that some of us, you've shared it with me, you tell me that you're afraid to pray with somebody in the midst of their struggles because you're fearful that God won't answer the prayers. I want us to think about that for a moment. Some of you have told me, you've said, you know, I'm really nervous, I'm really uncomfortable praying with someone when they've been diagnosed with cancer, uh, when they're in the, uh, a fight with a loved one, uh, when they have no idea what to do with their kids, when they're caught up in addiction. You've told me, I, I don't know, I don't want to pray because if God doesn't answer the prayer, then what? And so what we do is we hedge hope. We don't put ourselves out there. We don't believe and we trust that Jesus can do something present tense right now and we defer it way out in the future. Oh yeah, God works together for good all things. It's true. But some of us push hope so far out in the future that we don't believe right now that Jesus can do something. Some of us, we push things so far out in the future that we, we kind of disengage not only with the present, but we defer it so far that we're even disengaged from what Jesus can do in this present tense reality. You see, Martha in that moment, though she's alive, though she's well, though she's not in a grave, is kind of dead. And some of us walk around with that same deadness when we are so caught up with our disappointment of the past, when we're disengaged in the present, and we defer hope so far in the future, and Jesus says, I am who I say I am. And it's absolutely remarkable because then Mary shows up, and Mary repeats word for word exactly what Martha has said. If you were just here. You know how it is, that, uh, that thing when... Uh, a rumor travels fast and you begin to hear the exact same language from different people in community. You ever had that happen? I have that happen all the time. It's, is it just me? You know, you hear things and I, it's like word for word, different people from different demographics, they say the exact same thing. And I begin to think, oh, people are talking. When people are talking, they begin to have the same story and that same story comes out from their hearts. It comes, uh, comes out from their lips. So the community has been talking. Martha and Mary and the friends and the relatives, all of them likely were saying, if only Jesus was here. If only he wouldn't have died. And what's so remarkable, and you'll read it later, in between your rewinding of the TiVo, Jesus says in verse 14, then Jesus told them plainly, look, Lazarus is already dead. For your sake, I am glad I was not there. 
So here you have this perspective of the disciples saying, if only, 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 if only Jesus was just here. And Jesus is saying, in the meantime, I'm glad I wasn't there. What? The giver of life. The resurrection. The alpha, the omega. The word of God is always in control has an eternal perspective. And he says, I am glad that I disappointed them. Why? For your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. In fact, it's the fourth day. Why does John continue to say it was the fourth day, it was the fourth day, it was the fourth day? Well, in the first century, they would actually bury somebody once, and then a year would go by, and they would bury him a second time. What? What's up with that? You see, they'd bury him once, and for a year, their body would rot. And then after a year, they would then take the bones and put it into an ossuary. And it was that second burial. But long before that year was up, there was the first three days where there's a slim chance that that person could survive. In fact, the Midrash, which is the Jewish commentary on the Hebrew Scriptures, actually says that you can actually hang around the grave in prayer, in hope, and that perhaps in the first three days, the person might come back to life. And in fact, in the Midrash, which is the Jewish commentary of the Hebrew Scriptures, it literally gives two examples of two historical people who, after three days, were found alive. And it goes into such great detail, it says one of them lived for another 25 years. And the Jewish Midrash, the commentary in the Hebrew Scripture says that the second person actually survived and had five more kids. So there's this hope for three days only. But once you get to the fourth day, all hope is lost. In fact, in the first century, they would notice the body and it would seem to begin to rot on the fourth day. And Jewish belief in the first century was this, that when the body began to rot, it was a sign of the sin that they had committed in their life. That all the brokenness had begun to come to the surface. All the evil and the mistakes had come to the surface. They were past the point of no return on the fourth day. And Jesus says on the fourth day, when all hope is lost, past the point of no return, when it doesn't make sense rationally, medically, philosophically, socially, in this story, he says, that's when I'm going to show up. And it's so remarkable that he, he walks up to that tomb and he roars. And the Greek language says that when he roars, when he yells, when he thunders his voice, it literally is like the sound of a lion roaring at death. My 18-month-old right now is obsessed with lions. Not just lions, but lions roaring. If you go to my YouTube search history, you'll find over and over and over, lion roaring compilation. And when, uh, you know, we're doing long drives and he's fussy and nothing can help, I, I, I put that on. And he just watches. Rawr. Lie, lie. Lie, lie. Lie, lie. He's just, he's obsessed with it. 
There's something about the sound of a lion that shakes you to your core, that has captivated my son, that shook the gates of hell that day. When Jesus roared, Lazarus, come out. It was into the darkness of hell itself. It shook the foundations of God's enemy. As D.L. Moody said that he had to say Lazarus because if he just yelled, come out, everybody would rise from the grave. (laughs) He had to say, Lazarus, you, you come out. And you know what Ephesians 5 says? Awake. Awake you who are dead. Rise. For the light of Christ shines into the dark. Jesus does not just say, Lazarus, come out. He says, Kevin, come out. Muhammad, come out. Paul, come out. Arturo, come out. Rahim, come out. I want you to close your eyes in this moment. Jesus, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, roars at death. Scripture says that in our sin we are already dead, and he speaks through that death. He speaks into the grave of which we've been born into, and he says your name. I want you to hear your name. Hear your name in your heart just over and over. Just repeat your name over and over in your heart. The Lord has known your name before the foundations of the earth. And he says to you in the midst of your disappointment, in the midst of your disengagement, in the midst of how much you've deferred hope to the future, in the deadness that you feel, in the deadness of your sin, he says, come out, come out, come out, come out, come out. And he changes your position from death to life. He changes your condition from death to life. But for many of us, our perception, our perception, our perception has not changed. Keep those eyes closed. Jesus asks for help. He asks for his followers. He asks for his disciples. He asks for those who are there to help change Lazarus's perception. He says, I want you to go to this dead man now alive and I want you to unloose, I want you to unbind his grave clothes. He doesn't yet see me, Jesus, as his savior. He doesn't yet see me as the life. He doesn't yet see me as the resurrection. All he sees, even though he's alive, are his grave clothes. All he sees is fear, all he sees is doubt, all he sees is worry, all he sees is anxiety, all he sees is fill in the blank. Jesus, I want you as my people, as my church, to unbind 
that which that has already been set free. Jesus, I want you to open your eyes. Open your eyes now in this moment, church. Would you see the empty cross? This symbol that in the first century was a symbol of great and awful terror, was a symbol of execution. That this empty cross is now a symbol because Jesus defeated death once and for all. Jesus says, now that I have defeated death, if you believe in me, if you trust in me, you will rise from the grave. You will be dead to sin and you will be alive in Christ. Your position, your condition are now alive, but your perception for many years, for many months, for many decades perhaps, can still be focused on the hurt and the pain and the sorrow and the doubt and the grieving and the anxiety and the worry. And Jesus, I want you to change your perception. I want you to see, now that you are free, this life that I've invited you into. And what's so beautiful about this is that Jesus is not unemotional. He weeps. He doesn't just shed a tear. He weeps. He sobs. He enters into the fullness of humanity. He grieves with you. He is filled with sorrow with you. And he says that my life and my love are greater than all of that. And I choose whom I may to rescue and redeem from death on this side of eternity knowing that all who put their faith and trust in me, even death itself one day, will not close them out. Miller Church, on this Palm Sunday, perhaps some of you are disappointed with the past, you're disengaged with the present, you're deferring hope to the future. Listen to what Jesus says to Martha. He says, I, right now, present tense, I, right here, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Come to me. Get your eyes on me, your heart on me, your soul on me right now. I can do a work right now in your life, in your relationships, in your workplace, in your dreams, in your fears, right now. And he speaks to Lazarus, and he speaks to some of you who are dead to sin. You've never given your life to Christ. And he says, you, I want you to come out. And he speaks to all of us as the church, and he says, will you join me in helping bring life to people? Will you help unbind people from their brokenness? Will you enter into relationships and pray for people and encourage people and suffer with people and love people and come alongside them and set them free so they may see Jesus high and lifted up? God's calling every single one of us to be his ambassadors, to be givers of life. And in a moment, we're going to continue to worship, but our worship is going to spill over onto this campus. We're going to surround this campus, and what we're going to do is we're not only going to pray for the upcoming week, but we're going to pray that God would give us courage to invite people onto this campus on Easter Sunday and throughout the week. But before we do that, we've got to do business with the Lord. We can't rush right past it. We can't give the platitudes and say, oh, you can do whatever you want. We have to allow the resurrection of life to be present with us in such a powerful way that would lead Martha in the next chapter of John, I believe, to worship at the feet of Jesus, to give everything to Jesus with absolute love. I know it was Mary that did that, this, this absolute adoration. She, she was absolutely moved. Right before that, she says, if you were only here, she was moved from disappointment to absolute adoration and worship. Jesus can do that today. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you for this moment on this Palm Sunday where you are louder than even death itself. That you roar against death, you roar against the enemy. 
that your life and your love on this day in 2019 are also a present tense reality. Jesus, you're not a figure of history that you, now in this moment, you've ascended to the right hand of the Father where you reign and rule. You've given us your Holy Spirit. Jesus, you will come again, and yet we don't just defer hope only to the future. We have hope right now. In the midst of our troubles, in the midst of our hurt, in the midst of our pain, Jesus, walk with us. Holy Spirit, ignite our soul to trust you now in this moment. Loving God, we thank you for the gift that you've given us, not only of you, but of each other. May we be a church that helps unbind that which has already been set free. It's in your name we pray and we say together.